It's November, and the FT's global pharmaceutical editor, Hannah Kuschler, is in Copenhagen. She's visiting the headquarters of the drug maker Novo Nordisk. So this company is changing the world, and I wanted to go to Copenhagen to see its headquarters, to see how the scientists have created these wonder drugs, Zempic and Wegovy, and what they plan to do next. Both of these drugs, the popular diabetes treatment Ozempic and Wegovy, which was formulated strictly for weight loss, have had a remarkable run recently. But when Hannah gets to Novo Nordisk's labs, she says that the place where scientists are developing successors to these blockbuster medications looks quite unassuming from the outside. So I entered through automatic double doors, and it's quite underwhelming on the ground floor. We went upstairs and we walked down this incredibly long, white, dramatically white corridor. Um, And going off these corridors are these very small labs. They're like the size of a bedroom, really. And on each side, inside the labs, these machines whirring away. As she walks around the lab, her tour guide opens a big glass fridge. It sort of looks like the kind that restaurants use to keep bottles of soda cold. But instead of holding sugary drinks, it's filled with chemicals. So what have we got in this fridge? So this is actually a lot of different uh, chemicals that are used uh, when we produce uh, the peptide. So it's almost like writing a code when you're doing a software programming. So a peptide is a string of amino acids, those building blocks that make up proteins. And a lot of drug discovery is about trying to work out the right protein that does the right thing in your body. And so so they test thousands of these, um, first in dishes, in labs, and then in animals, and then if successful, eventually in humans. Next, Hannah sees a small transparent cabinet where robotic arms move back and forth, swinging bottles full of different molecules into a large machine, sort of like a mini assembly line. Okay, so what's happening in here? Here we have some of our high throughput experimentation uh, apparatus where we can make uh, four times 96 unique molecules in this machine at one go. So uh, that's something we utilize a lot to produce many variants of, of new molecules, right? The tour guide tells Hannah that this lab can now use computers and high-tech machinery like those robotic arms to do work that just 20 years ago had to be done by hand. Labs have just got so much more high-tech. This isn't just like little uh, pipettes and bottles like you would imagine now. That Everything is kind of run by computers. All these peptides and molecules and robots... They're part of a behind-the-scenes look at the science that Nova Nordisk has pioneered to create these drugs, Ozempic and Wegovy. When this company has just sort of burst onto the scene of importance, both in terms of the industry I cover, pharma, but also actually in terms of broader society with these drugs, Wegovy and Ozempic. These are the new generation of uh, weight loss and diabetes drugs that have just shown a much more significant weight loss than any previous obesity treatments. Before these drugs came out, The only really effective treatment for obesity was surgery, which can be expensive and dangerous. Now, patients taking Wegovy or Ozempic give themselves a weekly injection. When a drug makes over a billion dollars a year, it's known as a blockbuster. But as demand for these drugs soared in 2023, Hannah tells me they quickly sailed far beyond that marker. I think Barclays forecasts Wegovy to hit 4.2 billion and Azempit to hit 13.3 billion. 
But getting to this point took decades. Usually, I think they say the average for a drug is about 10 years from preclinical, which is sort of animal testing, to approval. This seems to have been a harder task, taken longer. I think now it's quite easy to think, oh God, of course these were going to be successful. Everyone wants to lose weight, right? While Novo Nordisk has enjoyed this recent explosion of success, the journey to get here has taken a long time, even by the standards of the pharmaceutical industry. So how exactly did they pull it off? Tendera from the Financial Times. Today on Behind the Money, we're looking at how Novo Nordisk's unique ownership model played a role in its recent success, and whether anything can get in the company's way in the future. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start from the very beginning, which for Novo Nordisk is quite a while ago, in the 1920s, actually. That's when the company started out making insulin. So Hannah, tell me more about how this all began. So um, the more romantic people at Novo Nordisk like to say that the company was formed out of a love story. And this is because there was this Nobel Prize winner, August Crow, and his wife, who was also a doctor, Marie, had diabetes. They heard about these scientists in Toronto who had discovered insulin, which is the bedrock of treatment for diabetics. And Marie urged her husband, please go find this. So Marie's husband, August, travels to Toronto to find these scientists. And when he gets there and meets them, he ends up getting their permission to reproduce this new medicine, insulin, and sell it in Scandinavia. To do this at scale, August and a couple others create what later becomes Novo Nordisk. But with the permission that August receives from the Canadian scientists, there's also an important stipulation in their agreement. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the Canadian scientists, they were very generous and they gave him the license to produce this. But they also said, we don't want you to make the quote that I was uh, told recently was no nasty profits out of this. To avoid any so-called nasty profits, Novo Nordisk's founders created a charitable organization which would take money the company made from insulin sales and invest it back into scientific research. Today, that organization is called the Novo Nordisk Foundation. It has 77% of the company's voting rights and owns 28% of the company's shares. And Hannah points out that this is a distinct ownership structure for a pharma company. It is a common structure in Denmark, but in the pharma industry, it is unusual. I mean, most big pharma companies are owned you know, purely by their shareholders. Sometimes they'll be wealthy families, but, but mainly most big companies, they're owned by the shareholders on the public market. So for Novo Nordisk, the company's shares are owned in part by the foundation and in part by shareholders on the public market. 
people inside the company have told Hannah that this structure of foundation ownership has allowed the business to take a much longer term view when it comes to planning. Yeah, that's 77% of the votes, right? Like, you don't have to worry about a shareholder rebellion basically ever because 77% of the votes are held by a foundation that's kind of like on your side. So of course, another thing about having a controlling shareholder like a foundation is that you can't really easily be bought. But that certainly, I think, has probably helped the company over the years feel more secure in its investment. It's not had anyone creeping up behind it. A key example of that long-term approach to research, we go via Ozempic. Obesity was not a popular area to invest in when they started investing it in the 90s. It had a history of being an area where the drugs had not been very effective, where some had been pulled from the market because of dangerous side effects. And actually, a lot of people were not touching this area with a barge pole. And yet they were kind of able to double down, perhaps without the same kind of um, scrutiny for short-term or mid-term returns from public shareholders, the foundation believed in letting them having that space. It was a risky space to bet on. And Hannah tells me that it took decades of research and testing to receive U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval. Ozempic got it in 2017, and then Wegovi a few years later, after a trial showed that patients taking the drug could lose an average of 15% of their body weight. So, Hannah, we just heard about how Nova Nordisk spent decades researching these drugs, starting in the 1990s, and then finally getting approval for Wegovi just a couple years ago. So what allowed them to do that, to take all that time? Was it the foundation ownership? I mean, all pharmaceutical innovation takes a long time, but I think the foundation ownership did play a big role here. Because it means that the company, even though it is publicly listed, is maybe much less sort of subject to the whims of the market. I mean, we've seen, for example, actually quite recently, a company like Pfizer get really punished by the stock market because, hey, they had loads of money during COVID, but now the vaccine isn't selling so well. And that volatility gets into the stock price. And when they try and spend some of those proceeds on longer term decisions, they get a bit punished for it. And I think Novo Nordisk's foundation kind of protected it from some of that as kind of volatility. The backing from the foundation allowed Novo Nordisk to place an important long-term bet in 2018. It was a bet that would ultimately vault them into becoming the most valuable company in Europe. That year, the company's CEO launched a 17,000-person clinical trial to see whether taking Wegovi could cut the risk of serious cardiac events, like heart attacks. Now, these sorts of trials are crazy expensive. They cost companies hundreds of millions of dollars to run. But this one paid off. So in August, this incredibly important trial result, just the top line of it, the really initial result, landed and went across the wires and it surprised a lot of people and really, really excited investors. Shares of Novo Nordisk are up sharply this morning. Novo Nordisk says its obesity drug Vigovi has a clear medical benefit in addition to weight loss. A new study shows the popular weight loss drug Vigovi can also reduce the risk of a heart attack or stroke by 20%. 
They said that in this population who were overweight, obese, and, and had some cardiovascular disease already, they cut this risk of serious events by 20%, which is a big drop. And it's a big drop in something that's really expensive, right? When you get rushed to hospital, it's very, very expensive to treat something like a heart attack. And so the shares spiked and they just kept on running. After Nova Nordisk released the results of their big bet, the company's shares continued to climb. And in September, their market cap surpassed the French luxury goods conglomerate LVMH, making Novo Nordisk the most valuable company in Europe. Novo was reaching new heights, but this level of success also raises questions about the challenges that lie ahead. From the Special Investigations Team at the Financial Times, this is The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. I went into what I would consider a psychotic break. It was like being in a torture chamber for my mind for six months. The Retreat. The final goal is to purify the mind. The Retreat is the first series from Untold, a new Financial Times investigative podcast. Coming this January. As much as Novo Nordisk has performed so well as a company recently, it still has huge hurdles to make this work long-term. Hannah, walk me through, what would you say are the biggest challenges that the company's facing heading into 2024? This is not an easy market. Um, The most immediate hurdle is it still doesn't have enough supply, right? So it has to scale that up. And then as you get more supply, you hit up against the fact that there are still a lot of payers who are reluctant, whether health insurers or government funded health insurance, either in the US or health systems in the UK and Europe, who are reluctant to foot the bill, partly because, you know, the populations this side, it could be incredibly expensive. Okay, so it sounds like the key areas they need to work on are increasing the supplies of their drugs and then also needing to work on convincing insurance companies and the like to actually pay for these drugs. As a quick reminder, Wegovy sells in the U.S. for a list price of over $1,300 a month. So let's talk about the supply of the drug first. What are they doing now to scale up? So the company knew that these drugs were important. They worked on them for 30 years, but they did not know how big they were going to be. So the supply that they sort of geared up for was nowhere near this kind of demand. Certainly didn't expect the demand that's all fueled by people on TikTok and celebrities like Kim Kardashian um, being linked with the drug, although she denies it. So they didn't anticipate correctly in the first place. And So the company's been really heavily investing in increasing supply. They're even building like a big plant in Denmark. They're not going for somewhere where, you know, you can pile it high and sell it cheap. They want something where they can really control the process and be close to it. And so as the supply scales up, then they can do things like roll it out in more countries. Because at the moment, it's only really available in the US and in a very restricted way in like four or five European countries. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the issue of health insurers, government payers being reluctant to foot the bill. Why is that right now? And how is Nova Nordisk looking to change that? 
So Novotnose is really hoping that this trial result about cardiac outcomes will make a big difference in its argument with payers. There are also a couple of other trial results coming down the line, I think most notably looking at its effect on chronic kidney disease, which again is really expensive if you think of people going to dialysis and things like that. And so when they have that evidence, they can go back to insurers and really have the argument. I think that there's a big task ahead of them because as much as lots of people think that preventative health is the way we should go, right? We should take drugs in order to make sure things don't happen rather than only be good at treating people when they arrive in an ambulance. It's still quite difficult because you've got to convince people to pay a lot of money now for something later. Mm, So how are they looking to do that? So one of the things that Novo is looking at on this is contracts, flexible pricing contracts, where they would share that risk. So they might supply the drug and health systems might have to pay later, which I think is a really interesting, innovative idea. It's only actually been used previously for some of the incredibly high priced drugs for like a rare disease. There are these drugs where it costs like $2 million, but it's a one-off. And once you take it, then you wipe out a huge amount of cost for the next 10 years. Those have had sort of payment plans for insurers. So it'd be really interesting to see whether that changes the game for some health systems. Hmm. Now, there's another challenge that Novo Nordisk is facing that's pretty much outside of its control because they're not the only pharma company working on anti-obesity drugs. So who are their main competitors and what are they up to? So yeah, Novo Nordisk has the one big competitor in Eli Lilly. And They had this head start, but to some extent, they didn't get to make the most of it because of their supply problems. So Eli Lilly has Monjaro, which is the Zempic equivalent, right? It's targeted at diabetes. And then they'd recently got ZetBound approved for obesity. So that's the same active substance, and it's kind of their equivalent of WeGovy. ZetBound actually showed in the clinical trial even more significant weight loss than WeGovy. But Nova Nordis doesn't seem to be massively worried about that. There's supply problems for everything. I think people are quite happy to lose 15% of their body weight rather than like 20 odd at the the start. Eventually, I think people think this market will become something where you kind of come in and depending on how much you weigh, how much you need to lose quickly, you might be directed towards different drugs. So looking ahead into 2024, what's what's next for the company? What should we be looking out for? So I think that the sales of these drugs, Zempic and Wegovy, are likely to continue to soar in 2024, especially as they manage to scale up supply. There's a lot of demand, as we've seen. It's almost been so constrained um, in the US. There's still tons of runway in other countries in Europe. They've barely touched the demand at all. So I think the, the sales will definitely continue to soar. But the question is whether the stock price will also continue to soar. Is all that priced in? Um, It's now the biggest company by market cap in Europe. So um, maybe there isn't quite so much runway with the stock price. Um, And then internally, they've got to balance dealing with today's challenges, be it the supply issues or trying to get more insurers and payers to cover the drug while not getting completely distracted from trying to keep up with competitors and and make sure that they're they're ahead of the game and maintain that long-term view to invest wisely in the future. Mm. So do you think that Nova Nordisk's long-term approach to growth will continue to be an asset for the company in 2024? 
I think in general, a long-term approach, especially to an industry that that does take a long time to go through clinical trials and regulatory procedures and things, makes sense. Of course, there's the risk that you go down a long, unfruitful path for a long time. And that's always maybe an extra edge to that risk when you have a lot of money. Is there something other companies can learn from Novo's foundation ownership structure? I mean, I wonder if that could be a benefit to other companies down the line. I mean, perhaps it could. Obviously, it's quite rooted in Danish culture. There are lots of other foundation-owned companies in Denmark, and and you can't imagine a a publicly listed company somehow managing to transform itself into a foundation. But maybe for new companies coming up, it's an interesting model as people discuss ideas like B Corps and things and saying, okay, how can you both invest money from drugs like this or products in philanthropy, um, but also help the company by having a, a kind of a longer term view than the average day trader. Hannah, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Behind the Money is hosted by me, Michaela Chindera. Safia Ahmed is our producer. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy, and this is why I switched to Shopify. I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. Shopify made it really easy for me to shift everything over and hit the ground running. I was able to migrate my products and all of my customer information over. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Go to shopify.com slash listen to take your business to the next level today. 